0: Welcome to the Howie Silbiger Show on the True Talk Radio Network. Get in on the conversation. Call 1-877-669-1292. Years ago. In the early 90s. I went to Poland to tour the death camps that killed my ancestors. The death camps that killed my great-grandparents. Death camps that killed my great-uncles, my great-aunts. Death camps that took millions of Jews. And as I walked through the death centers of Auschwitz, Majdanek, Birkenau. 17 years old. I couldn't help but wonder how this could have happened. I had faith in humanity. I was young. I was naive. I believed that there was some saving grace in humanity. And I couldn't understand. I just couldn't understand how not only did a continent turn its back on its citizens, but humanity turned its back on the Jewish people. I couldn't understand how just outside the gates of the death centers of Nazis. There were homes. People lived there. I couldn't help but think that those homes, when the crematorias were spewing out the ashes of my Jewish ancestors, those homes weren't turned black by the soot spooing from those chimneys. I couldn't help but think that the people living in these houses would leave their homes every single day and look over the fence and see the emancipated men, women, children living in the death camps and just get into their cars and go to work. I couldn't help but think that the backyards of these homes, which extended from the house straight to the camp's gates, to the the fence, that children would play in these backyards and watch the horrors that were happening into concentration camps and continue playing. It was unfathomable. It was it was unthinkable to me. I had grown up believing, strongly believing, that humanity had a shared moral value. I grew up believing that at one point human beings Realized that we were one and the same. That just because we differed in political opinion, in religious beliefs, didn't make us all that different. As I got older, I still didn't understand it. But I knew that there was an indifference to Jewish life. That Jewish life wasn't worth as much as everybody else's life. That Jews were expendable. I remember sitting and watching Star Trek with a group of friends, and the big joke in Star Trek was that anybody who went down In a landing party wearing a red shirt. Was sure to die that episode. And I remember sitting with some friends watching Star Trek. And the guy with the red shirt got on the transporter. And one of my friends said, hey look, there's the Jew. At the time I didn't understand it. What do you mean there's the Jew? The expendable one? The one who's going to die, there's the Jew. And as I got even older, I started to notice something. I started to notice that the rose-colored glasses I was looking at humanity with were exactly that. They were shading the truth. They were removing reality from my brain. And I started to realize that Jews have no allies. Jews have no friends. We have each other, and that's pretty much it. I started to realize that living in North America was a temporary thing for the Jewish people. Not because Mashiach was coming, but because the death squads are coming again. It seems that the Jews in the diaspora were a wandering people, and it was meant that way. It seems that any time Jews get comfortable in whatever country they're in, suddenly the country rises up against them and they have to flee again. I started to realize as I got even older that the only way that we could survive both mentally and physically is by realizing that we're on our own. that The Jewish people are on an island by themselves. Surrounded by sharks. And there's two ways to deal with sharks. One, you could sit on the island. You could hide in a shelter and hope that the sharks don't manage to come up on ground and break through the door and eat you. Or two, you could pick up arms and you could fight the sharks. These are your only two options when you're on an island by yourself, surrounded by sharks. But there's a problem. The problem is that if you decide to hide in the shelter, And the sharks come in and eat you. Your neighbors are going to say, Oh, whoa. The poor Jew. Look at that. He tried to save himself. He built a shelter. He hid in the shelter. And now look at him. We must pity the poor dead Jew. Or you could go the other way. You could pick up guns. You could start shooting the sharks. Start killing the sharks. Kill the sharks to save yourself. And the people, the people around you, they'll say, oh, look at that. The Jews, picking up guns, Killing the sharks. They don't believe in animal safety. They don't believe in humanity. What kind of human would go and do something like that? It's despicable. Shame on you, Jew. That's the only two directions. The only two options, that the Jewish people have: curling up in a corner and dying, or fighting back and being condemned. Now, this is not a new phenomenon. This is not something that, uh, that came out of nowhere. This has been the, the modus apparatus of the world since the beginning. This has, been the, this has been the driving force of the Jewish people. Lay back and be killed or fight back and be condemned. But you figure, after so many years, of fighting back and being condemned, we'd be immune to it. But we're not. We're not immune to it. We're still shocked. It's amazing that we're still shocked when our neighbors get up and say genocide to the Jewish people. We're still shocked when people walk through the street and openly call for Palestine from the, sea, from the river to the sea. We're still shocked When people start chanting, Gaz the Jews, kill the Jews, finish Hitler's job. We're still shocked. But why are we shocked? It's a great question. Why are we shocked? Shouldn't shock us. It's not the first time this has happened. It definitely won't be the last time this has happened. Why, why, why are we shocked? much like the Germans that lived in the 1930s in Germany, the Jews of North America have assimilated into society so greatly that they believe, they honestly believe that they belong in the society. Much like the Germans of the 1930s, the Jews in North America have infiltrated every aspect of society, from politics, to music, to comedy, to, to, to teaching, to banking, to whatever. You find Jews in every field doing everything in North America, and that makes them comfortable. problem is when Jews get too comfortable that's when the problems start the rallies and the protests that we're seeing in support of palestine whatever that means are not really that if you watch and you listen carefully if you translate what they're yelling It's much worse than free Palestine. They're yelling, kill the Jews. I've mentioned it before in Sydney, Australia, they yelled, gas the Jews. In Montreal, Canada, they yelled, kill the Jews. In Toronto, they yelled, burn the Jews. Where does this imagery come from? Burn the Jews, Gaz the Jews. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? This is 2023. The enlightened time, the time where people are supposed to be, are supposed to be accepting of everything and everyone. I mean, just, just look at what's happened over the last five years. We're supposed to accept every perversion to society. We're supposed to not question any perversion to biology anything goes, everybody's accepted, everybody is welcome, everybody except for the Jew. The Jew is still an outsider. The Jew is still not accepted. The Jew is still not welcome. Signs should go up saying no Jews or dogs allowed, and even dogs will let in. This is the society we're living in. Hundreds of thousands of people that we thought were civilized, In countries that we thought were civilized countries. Stood in the streets screaming. Kill the Jews. Murder the Jews. Gaz the Jews. Screaming. Destroy Israel. Kill the Jews. And we are supposed to sit by quietly and accept... That's our fate. We're supposed to sit by it quietly and accept us. Not so sure that that's such a great idea. I'm not so sure that we should sit quietly and accept it. In the 1940s, many Jews, when they saw the rise of the Nazis, said, this too will pass. We will survive it. The Jews have been through much worse. And they didn't survive it. The Jewish people barely survived it. Now a threat to humanity has risen again. And it's not a new threat to humanity, it's just one that we've ignored for years. And this threat to humanity has already committed one atrocity and shown who they really are and what their goals really are. The annihilation, the extermination, the murder of all Jews everywhere. Not just in Israel. Right around the globe. They've made it very clear. They've stated in interview after interview all week long, all month long, that their intention isn't to destroy Israel, isn't to free Palestine, whatever that means. Their intention is to murder as many Jews as possible and to annihilate the Jewish people. To make the world jewless That's their intention. And that's been their intention all along. They've stated it from day one, 1988, when they wrote their charter. They stated that fact that they wanted the world rid of Jews. They wanted the world Jewless. And the world ignored them, accepted them. Then they committed an atrocity, an unspeakable horror upon the Jewish people. Killing 1,400 Jews in one day, but not just killing them, butchering them, massacring them, annihilating them, desecrating their bodies, beheading them, killing babies, women, children, burning families alive, taking babies, shoving them into ovens, and baking them in front of their parents. Those are only the speakable atrocities that they committed. There's a lot of unspeakable ones. And kidnapping 220 people and holding them hostage as civilian shields, as human shields. And that garnered the sympathy of the world for about three days. For three days, the world said, oh, those poor Jews. Oh, look at the massacre. Oh, look at the atrocity that happened against the Jewish people. Pity the Jew. That's what the world was saying for three days. We pity the Jew. Look how, how much we have to pity the Jew. Oh, Such a pity what happened to those Jews. But here we are, a few weeks later, the Jewish people rose up. Jewish people said, no, we're not going to accept this. We now have an army. We now have a state. And we are not going to accept the fact that we were killed murdered slaughtered raped tortured kidnapped this is unacceptable and so the jewish state with the jewish army rose up and said we will kill and destroy our oppressors anybody who wants to come and oppress us today we have the power to destroy But we're only after the oppressors. We're not after the civilians. We don't want to kill innocent people. We want to kill the oppressors. We want to kill the people who came to kill us. That's it. We want to live in peace and harmony. We have nothing against the people. We only have something against the people who came to kill us. The general population we have no problem with. And so Israel who could wipe out the Gaza Strip in 40 minutes. They have the technology and the weaponry to take out the entire Gaza Strip in 40 minutes. Made a strategic decision, and something no other country in the world would ever do. They decided to send troops in to root out the terrorists so they could save civilian life. They bombed target-bombing buildings where the terrorists were hiding. uh, busting bunkers where the terrorists are hiding underneath the ground. And they went in with ground troops, sacrificing their own soldiers, their own young people, so that they could save innocent civilian lives. And what do they get in return for this morality? What do they receive in return for this unbelievable, and most most generals and most armies will tell you that this is really unbelievable. This unbelievable show of compassion and empathy for civilians living amongst the terrorists and the murderers and the genocidal maniacs. Condemnation from the world. That's what they get. Now the world is calling for a ceasefire. Stop the hostilities. A humanitarian ceasefire. Now we all know, and it's no secret, we all know, that a ceasefire means nothing to the Arabs. It never has. Every time that Israel's gotten into a skirmish with Hamas, and Israel's lived up to their end of a ceasefire, rockets still rained down on the heads of Israeli civilians. as they did for the last 17 years without one peep from world, from the world. Nobody cared about the civilians who's, who had to live in bomb shelters, the generation of children who grew up in bomb shelters because rockets were being launched from Gaza and landing on their heads. Nobody cared about those kids. Nobody cared about kids in Storot who learned from birth. That they had to be 10 seconds away from a bomb shelter. Nobody cared about them. And right now, nobody cares about them. After they were slaughtered. Slaughtered by the Nazi Arabs that came into these towns and just wiped out entire towns of people. But everyone's forgotten about that. It's funny, when Jews are killed, the world's memory is very, very short. And everybody forgot about the massacre. Everyone forgot about 17 years of missiles falling on Israeli heads and the restraint that the Israeli government showed as those missiles landed on Israeli civilians. One seems to forget this. And now they're calling for a ceasefire. The genocidal maniacal Israelis should stop bombing Gaza, they're yelling. But nobody's yelling about the bombs coming in from Gaza and landing on civilian heads in Israel. Nobody's yelling about that and that's been going on for 17 years. We all know that the only time Hamas calls for a ceasefire, this has been historically proven, is when they're running out of ammunition or when they're losing the war, then suddenly, oh, we need a ceasefire. We need a humanitarian ceasefire. We have to bring in humanitarian goods. We have to make sure that the people of Gaza are suddenly eating. Not that they ever cared about the people of Gaza before; they're just there as human shields. They didn't really care about them, but now, ooh, humanitarian. And they didn't even think for a second how this, how transparent this is. So you do a humanitarian ceasefire for two weeks, three weeks, a month, a year? How long do you want it for? They restock, they reload their weapons, reposition themselves, and start fighting Israel again. Why would any country do that? Why would any country agree to allow their enemy that they're fighting to regroup, reload, and restart? Doesn't make any sense to me. Then again, just a stupid radio talk show host. But it still makes no sense. I understand now. I understand that Jewish life means nothing to the world. I understand now that our neighbors and our friends no matter where we live could turn in a minute. And start killing you and me and every other Jew. I understand the danger we are in. The continuous danger to choose in around the world. I didn't get it when I was 17. I get it now. How do we, what do we do? How do we, how do we go about, you know, fixing this? Is there a negotiated way? Is there a way to negotiate a, a, a peaceful settlement to this? Is there a way to to tell our friends and our neighbors that they shouldn't kill us? I don't think it's going to work. People living around us, hundreds of thousands of people are getting into the streets and who are yelling, kill the Jews, commit a genocide against the Jewish people, annihilate the Jews. Anyone who yells from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. Is calling for the complete annihilation of Israel. And since we know that these are our neighbors, they're our friends, the people who live around us, there's very little we could do to change them. And that leaves us with one option. And one option only that's moving to the land of Israel. That's it. Thanks for joining me. I'll see you again tomorrow. I'm Howie Silberger.